With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple, and let's jump right in, shall we? This team, man, um, even in games that the lineup alone should count them out, you know, from the jump, um, these New York Metropolitans continue to find a way. Uh, whether that's coming back, breaking things open, what have you, uh, there's really, there, there's not an ounce of quit in this group, um, you know, throughout everything. And we're talking about the injuries, the underperformance, um, you know, the whole first month of the season, this was like the worst offensive team in baseball. And, you know, they're making it work. Um, the last we spoke on Monday, the Mets were heading into Atlanta with uh, more injury trouble on their docket. Uh, Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil have since been placed on the IL with hamstring strains. Uh, McNeil appears to be in a better place than Conforto is. Uh, Conforto's press conference was downright ominous. Uh, initial MRIs revealed an issue, no doubt. Um, that much has been uh, acknowledged. The team characterized it as a strain, but... Um, you know, that could range. The spectrum of a strain is uh, is substantial. So there's no telling how severe that injury really is. Uh, the last we heard, the team was waiting on a second opinion. That was on Tuesday. Uh, as of Thursday night, there's been no word on that since. Um, you know, that's a considerable blow if Conforto is going to be out for a while. You know, as we've discussed last week and many times in the past, you know, as Michael Conforto goes, so do the Mets. Um, him playing well is almost a precursor to the team playing well. He just kind of solidifies his spot in the lineup. You know, fortunately, I guess the uh, the now heralded bench mob, now just the mob, as Dominic Smith and Francisco Lindor are the only two Mets regulars left in the lineup. You know, they've held things down like a goddamn steel plate. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you know, you have guys like just all of them. Tomas Nito had a huge week, a couple of very big hits, big home runs. Jonathan VR has been just, you know, he doesn't even have a great batting average, but um, he's getting some very big hits. It's been very cool to see, you know, Kevin Pillar, we'll talk about him in a second. Um, you know, even in his absence, he's he's getting the, uh, getting the clubhouse riled up, getting the fan base riled up. It feels like something special's uh, happening. Um, you know, the, t- the task gets a little bit taller with Pete Alonzo, hopefully only temporarily placed on the shelf uh, on Wednesday with a hand-wrist issue stemming from a hit-by-pitch in the Cardinals series. Uh, Rojas tabbed his uh, Alonzo's day off on Tuesday before the team's day off on Thursday as just that, a day off. Um and they lost on Wednesday in Atlanta, but again, we'll we'll touch on all that in a second. But you know, after the game, the beans were were kind of spilled regarding that situation. And, you know, Rojas only acknowledged the injury at that point um, after the game, and also shame on us for not picking up the wrist brace on Alonzo's uh, hand that he was wearing earlier in the week until after the fact. But 
you know, Louis Rojas pointed to competitive advantage as being the reasoning behind him, I guess, cloaking Alonzo's true uh, affliction. And you know what? I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Um, from not releasing the lineups until the very last minute, you know, to keeping the next day starter under wraps when applicable. Louis Rojas is really, he hasn't played around when it comes to protecting his team's internal internal matters. And you can even go back to the <laughs> the rumble in the tunnel. You can go back to the, to the raccoon story. Um, he's done a very good job of keeping stuff that's supposed to be in-house, in-house. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. We saw earlier this week, um, uh, Joe Girardi in Philadelphia. Uh, he got into it with... Um, Gene Segura in the Phillies dugout and you know the, the TV cameras caught them arguing and he was asked about it in the post-game press conference and he just he got very uh <laughs> he got very salty very fast he was not sharing anything and I guess you know John Boy from John Boy Media uh he put it up and I replied I said oh well you know the raccoon story's not looking so bad right about now and he's like well I guess people are, are saying that this might have been a more um practical way to handle it and yeah, I get that. I, I have no problem with with facing stuff head on. Um, in this, in the Mets particular situation, I think they used a harmless story. I think it got blown out of proportion uh, by some in the media. Um, I think at the end, you know, something like that where you're drawing so much attention to the team, where in Girardi's case, I think that will, in the long run, bring more negative attention than, you know teammates covering up a, a little a little scuffle in, in the tunnel or in the in the clubhouse um you know for all we know that shit happens all the time um yeah i have i have no problem with how the mets handled it i have no problem with how girardi handled it i just think that that has the potential to be um a continue to be a talking point i guess the mets kind of made that a moot point by playing much better after the whole situation but you know if the phillies continue on and they're and they maybe you know then they're they're playing well right now but um you know if they have a tough break which again this all might be for naught now but um you know that might come back if things get if things get bad and you know girardi getting all testy with the media um you know that could just i guess set the wrong tone for whether it's the rest of the season and, you know, maybe it's already blown over. Who knows? I'm not that tied tightly into, you know, the Phillies, uh, uh, I guess, rumblings or, you know, what's going on around the team. But, um, yeah, I, as far as how Rojas, you know, just handles his, his business and his team's business very close to the vest, in my opinion, that's how it should be. Um, talked about it for the Apple this week. You know, in order for a, a team to weather the storm that the Mets have kind of found themselves in and succeed, uh, succeed in spite of the challenges. And this goes for, you know, a baseball team, uh, any uh, any team, a high school team, a kid's team. It goes for, you know, a company, a family, whatever. Um, strong leadership at the forefront, it's a necessity for that movement to take form, to take hold and to kind of, you know, gain gain ground and make progress. It's, it, it, it takes some something or, or a group of people up at the front of that as the uh, as the catalyst behind that entire process, uh, in the Mets case, Louis Rojas, you know, he's provided the club with a steady hand. At, at least, you know, 
He's made some decisions that, of course, you know, we've all questioned some decisions. I've questioned some decisions. I spoke about it last week. I'm not really one to harp on managerial decisions. Uh, there's a reasoning behind every decision they make. They, you know, in, in Rojas's case, he's, you know, I, I, I want to say he's a year older than me. I'm 38. I think he's 39. Um, he's been in professional baseball for the last, what, going on 15 years or so. He's been with the Mets for 14 years. Um you know, he knows what he's doing out there. And, you know, as far as game decisions, uh, I'm not even really getting into all that because, again, it is what it is. What we say is not going to have any effect on that. But, you know, the other half of his job is keeping his players motivated and keeping his his team focused. And, uh, you know, amid all of these just controversies and injuries and adversity and struggles, um, you know, that, that specific – job of his or that, that responsibility boy he hasn't wavered at all and um yeah I, I talked about it for the apple he really does deserve a lot of credit for for keeping this team afloat um you know throughout everything uh, he, he's remained level-headed even keeled you know those locker room doors they're sacred that means opinions from beyond those doors mean absolutely nothing all that matters are the 26 players and the coaches and the staff in that locker room and that's the only unwritten rule that I'm concerned with, if we're being honest, after the whole bullshit in Chicago with Tony La Russa. Very quick tangent. Uh, if you're going to bring in a position player to throw 45-mile-an-hour fastballs, I'm swinging at 1-0. and I'm swinging at 3-0. and I'm swinging anytime you want. You're going to talk about respecting the game. Put a fucking pitcher out there. That's all I'll get into on that. But, um, you know, we as fans um, – even the media, we get wrapped up in the whole panic city thing. It still happens, even in this new age of the New York Mets. Um, in the past, we've seen, you know, of course, this has never been confirmed, but the clubhouse has ventured into panic city from time to time, at least, again, from the outside looking in. But um, under Rojas, that, that hasn't been the case, you know. 2020, uh, it was a skeleton roster. The, the rotation was gone. They fell short of expectations. And, um, you know, I guess that only added to the the grumblings that Rojas might not have been the right guy for this job. I mean, the Mets didn't choose him. They chose Carlos Beltran. And uh, Rojas was kind of thrust into the role once Beltran was removed. But, you know, Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson, they, they, they gave Rojas a vote of confidence last winter. Uh, they made sure that the you know that he wouldn't be left um, left you know left behind as the organization kind of moved forward and you know the the players by all accounts love him so I'm sure that had something to do with it but you know even higher expectations coming into this season as well as the hot seat that every incumbent manager has waiting for them when a new regime takes over um, you know heading into 2021 that kind of put Rojas under the gun again and the avalanche of outside pressure was really only starting. Um, the early runners, uh, the early problems with runners in scoring position, um, as we were saying, the, the the fight in the tunnel, the the raccoon stuff, the firing of Chili Davis and Tom Slater, and then watching you know Kevin Pillar nearly get killed in the box on Monday. Um, in addition to, of course, all the injuries, uh, you know, any and all of it could have derailed this train before it left the station. And instead, they're you know they're rolling out of the other side of that tunnel, and they're intact. They got a head full of steam. They took two of three in Atlanta. Um, they came back in the third game in Atlanta. Like you know, so many times over the last few years, we've seen this team. Oh, 
gave up a lead in the seventh, and that's it. This team just fucking quits from there. Yeah, that's that's not this team, man. Sure, look, took a little while to get these guys warmed up, but um, you know, when you got the twenty sixth, and I mean, it, realistically, this was like the thirty fourth and thirty fifth guys on the fucking roster. <laughs> I keep cursing. I'm sorry. Um, you know, realistically. You have everybody picking up slack at this point, and uh, I know it's cliche now, oh, when everybody gets back, we're going to be great. Yeah, when everyone gets back, the Mets are going to be competitive, they're going to be full again, but it's still going to be a transition period between um, fighting for your life and putting it back into fourth gear and coasting. Uh, you know, appearing to have rallied around all the nonsense that this team's been dealt with so far, that, that they've had to deal with so far, you know, that an identity is kind of being built it never say die, never quit. Just, you know, come and get us. This is this is the epitome of come and get us. When Brody spit that nonsense a couple of years ago, it was just, you know, blovial agent bullshit. Um, now it's come and get us. Look, we got our fucking, it's not even the B team, it's the C team out there. And we're holding our own still in first place. Come and get us. That's, you know, again, outside looking in, that's what it feels like. And and even the fan base is fired up. Like, yo, come fuck with us. I dare you. Come on. Let's go. Well, we're going to put our third string shortstop. We're going to put Jose Peraza out there. And we're still going to beat you two out of three. It doesn't matter if you're the Braves. You know, that's the mentality that this team at least feels that they have right now. At least, again, from a third, a third uh, an outside perspective. That's the energy that, at least that's the energy that the fans are feeling. And I think Louis Rojas should be lauded for that, um, as should the veteran clubhouse leaders who no doubt have kept things you know, moving forward um, throughout all the problems, You know, even if some of them haven't really been producing on the field. I mean, Lindor, uh, his start in Queens has been dreadful. I don't think he's hitting above 200 yet. And you know, despite all of that, and there's been some hiccups in the field too, which nobody was expecting, but you know, he's remained upbeat. Um, he's fueling this team's fire to pick their teammates up. And there's a lot of teammates to be picked up right now, whether it's injuries, whether it's slumps. Um, you know, look at the starting rotation. Marcus Stroman, whose positivity is just off the freaking charts. Taiwan Walker, who's been terrific. And, you know, he hit the IL on Wednesday with side tightness. Um, they're doing that as a precautionary thing. And I guess that's fine, you know, next man up until you run out of him. But even David Peterson, um, coming off 7.1 innings of, of terrific ball against the Rays last week, uh, retired, what, 17 in a row to close out his night. Um, got a little touched up in the fifth in Atlanta on Wednesday, but still he's making such progress and such strides. Uh, you know, I don't look at his whatever his ERA is, four-something, five-something. I don't look at that and see, oh, wow, he's having trouble. No, he's not. He has one bad inning. And for a guy who never pitched above double-A, he's really coming along. We could talk about Peterson every week and say the same thing. Um, just really, the progress he's making is just uh, off the charts. And, and, and right, you know, back to Pilar, who, you know, despite looking like Donnie Stevenson knocked him out, maybe he wasn't celebrating as much as he should have after elevating, but... Um, he still came into work on Tuesday, all battered up. My my daughter's like, can I see a picture of it? Because she heard me tell, talking about it. Can I see a picture of him? I'm like, no, you can't see a picture of him. It's awful. But happy birthday, Lily. She turned 11. I'm recording on Thursday, uh, just in between dinner and cake. Knock this thing out. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even show her the picture, man. Uh, maybe I will. Get her fired up. That's part of Mets lore now, but... You know, life and death situations, they are very rare occurrences in this game. 
Uh, and the Mets watched that exact scenario play out with Kevin Pillar at the plate on Monday. And they still got the job done. They completed their objective. Get the win. Um, you know, we had pits in our stomachs watching from home. This team had to go back out there and win a game. You know, that's um, it's a hero- you know, heroic shit or brave courage, wh- whatever. It's guile right there, man. Um, you know, the imaginary parallels of, of actual combat and athletic competition – you know, they're brought up a lot, and most of the time it's bullshit. Um, on Monday, that was about as close as the two can get to overlapping, at least in my opinion. You know, there's no comparing lucratively, uh, lucratively compensated ball players to, um, you know, war-seasoned actual, you know, combat veterans. You know, this is a children's game. Uh, there's no comparison between a professional athlete and a professional soldier. But the sort of dedication that goes to one's craft is, you know, very similar. Just get the job done. At all costs, get the job done. In Pilar's case, I mean, at least on Monday, that that cost could have been uh, tragic. You know, there's really no telling what happens if that fastball is a, a little higher or a little tighter. Honestly, I don't even want to think about it. Um, he spoke to the Mets media corps for a solid half hour on Tuesday answered every question thrown his way, including including talking about the many what-ifs of the uh, situation. You know, if this team has the basic survival instincts to overcome that type of adversity that they faced on Monday, I wouldn't put anything past them as far as, you know, ha- facing the challenges they've been dealt with um, on other fronts head-on. And that level of clubhouse leadership, it starts at the top. I mean, from Rojas and his staff leaning on the veterans to keep everyone focused – uh, to the young guys, you know, taking cues from the, the older guys in the, in, the, in the locker room. It's all coming together in spite of the adversity. It's, uh, you know, it's all about what what's happening, what we're watching take place. Uh, taking two out of three in Atlanta now leads to Miami. And again, this was a big week as far as interdivision play. Um, these are the games that the Mets have to win. These are the games that separate themselves from everyone else in the NL East. Uh, they head back home next week. Um, yeah, this is, you know, everyone likes to look over the Marlins, but this is a, uh, it's a, it's a dangerous team as is. Um, and you, you know, you go look even further and see what's coming down the turnpike. And, you know, this could be a real, uh, a thorn in the Mets side, a thorn in whoever in the National League East side. These are this is like the ideal spoilers, but um, so they they're only going to see one of the Marlins' handful of frontline starters this weekend. Pablo Lopez, who was supposed to pitch on Friday, uh, he's pitching on Saturday now. Uh, there's still going to be a lot to be intrigued by on this roster, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And you know, they're surely not going to be pushovers <laughs> by any means as the season goes on, but. Uh, one of my absolute favorite Marlins content creators, uh, Stouffer Cochran, over at Prospects 1500 and Fish on the Farm. He's going to join the show for a quick series preview. It's going to be right after the break. We'll hear from our sponsors. And uh, we'll be right back. Hang tight. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, everybody. Welcome back. 
with the Marlins coming in, uh, I'm sorry, with the Mets heading into Miami for the weekend. Uh, of course, we're going to do a little uh, little Marlins series preview. I got my buddy Stoffer Cochran. He's the Marlins contributor over at Prospects 500. I know he does some work with Friars on the farm. And uh, Stoffer, thanks so much for coming by, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Love talking baseball. Yes, sir. Um, dude, no matter, I guess, no matter what year it is, no matter what the roster looks like, um, you know, there's off years, of course, but man, these are just some overachieving fish you guys got down there. It's been a rough stretch lately, but uh, they're still plugging away at it. And you like to see that uh, never give up attitude. That's for sure. Well, you know, all things considered with, um, you know, I guess without going out and, and, and making themselves real, real players on the, uh, on the top tier free agent market and kind of just, you know, op- operating the way they do. Um, you know, outside looking in, it kind of feels like they get the most out of uh, out of what the rosters they put together, and and the future is kind of looking even brighter than uh, uh, brighter than most, I should say. Yeah, I for one was a fan of their offseason not going out and spending a lot of money because there's a lot of guys in the minor leagues that are getting close to knocking on the door, and you got to have the opportunity to uh, are there for them so that they can prove themselves. Oh, for sure, and and just you know, I guess with the current core that they have up. Um, you know, a couple of veteran guys. You have your your Jesus Aguilar's, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, Corey Dickerson, Miguel Rojas, Jazz Chisholm is back, who's been such a just an impact maker. Um, really nice pitching staff. I know this weekend, uh, Pablo Lopez starts thing off starts things off on Friday, but you have, I guess, penciled in two uh, two very young guys, Jordan Holloway and Cody Poteet, coming in um, and taking over the weekend duties. Uh, what should we expect from these guys? Uh, a lot of strikes. They attack the, <laughs> they attack the strike zone. And they uh, Their pitching staff is really good at that. The coaching staff, they really want them to strike the zone and make <clears throat> the batter hit a good pitch. So, And Eliezer Hernandez had a really good rehab start yesterday for the Jumbo Shrimp. So he might be up taking one of those spots for Holloway or Poteet too. Oh, what, for, for the weekend series? It's possible. He looked really okay. good. Okay, so those those guys, those two are, are are really just penciled in at this point. Again, everybody, we're recording on Wednesday, so hoping for the best Sorry. as far as scheduling. <laughs> but it seems like we have a contingency plan, so we got the inside info here. Um, and speaking of, of the Jumbo Shrimp, which is probably one of the best uh, team names in the minor, in minor league baseball, uh, Jesus Sanchez has been absolutely crushing for them, and he's probably a guy that we should all be looking out for soon. He is on fire. He's hitting just what four seventy seven after yesterday's game. Yeah, with a five eleven on base percentage. Wow. Uh, I was lucky enough to get to a game when they were in Jacksonville, and uh, I got to saw him. We uh, sat in the outfield, so I got to see. And he's locked in defensively too. Every time the ball hit the bat, he was heading the right direction, doing all the little things on the field. So you like to see something like that, and especially since he's so dialed in at the plate. Oh, it's so cool. I mean, he's just one of the few that are coming up that are um, really just blue chip guys. I mean, Sixto Sanchez, who should be back in the mix soon, right? He was doing rehab assignment recently. Yeah, he's uh, he's getting it back. They're not going to rush him. There's really no need with the other guys that have stepped up. Oh, Holloway, yeah. Poti, you know, Trevor Richards. Wow. Uh, Trevor, not uh, Trevor Richards, Trevor Rogers. Sorry. I was no, that's at my okay. screen over here. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and in my head, I'm still thinking Garrett Richards, but no, yeah, Trevor Rogers has been terrific. I know the Mets saw him early on in the season 
you know, a lot of fans are like, oh, who is this guy? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is <laughs> this is someone to watch. And he, he shut him down completely. Um, and he's still kind of doing his thing. And, you know, you have Alcantara, who's got electric stuff. Uh, Pablo Lopez, who, again, we just talked about. He's, uh, you know, frontline level stuff, um, without a doubt. And then you get, again, Sixto, uh, Edward Cabrera, who's making his way up. Um, position guys. Uh, Jose Devers and Monty Harrison. I like Monty Harrison. You got to hope he's going to come around soon. Um, Lewis Brinson, who I'm a big believer in. Again, just so much, I guess, fluidity between the minor league roster and the major league roster. And that's kind of going to keep on continuing down that uh, that road as the season goes on, right? Oh, absolutely. They, uh, they got a lot of athletes, especially in the outfield. They need to um, really hone it in at the plate. Uh, like Monty Harrison and Lou uh, Lewis Brinson started off a little slow this year. Um, his last if, take a chance. If you have it, take a chance and look at his last 14, 14 games. He's uh, he's been hitting the ball really well. I, I know. I mean, just even from afar, I, I've been following him um, for a couple of years, you know, and everybody, me and Stoffer actually met through the, uh, through the, the card collecting hobby. Um, and, you know, I've been holding Lewis Brinson cards for a few years now, just kind of waiting for the explosion. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a rooting interest for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, they're going to come to the point where there's going to be kind of too much talent for the, uh, for the starting lineup. And, you know, that's a good problem to have. And, and I think Blade is probably leading the way here, right? You think he's going to be making an impact this season? Are they rushing him along? No, I don't think he'll make it. Everybody, there are a lot of people are calling for him to come up and make an impact, but we um, we're still sitting there with Duvall and um, Dickerson. So you got Jesus Sanchez ahead of him. They're going to give Monte Harrison a chance before they start using the options on you know. Blay. I don't, and he frankly is not hitting all that well in the minors right now. He's I think he's hitting two twenty five if I remember correctly with a couple home runs. So they'd like to see a little more consistency out of him, especially on the breaking stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just from scouting reports and what you read on him, um, he really seems to be quite, quite the player. And, you know, that's kind of been the Marlins MO for so long. They, they, they do such a great job of identifying talent, uh, developing talent. And then I guess in the long run, flipping that talent over for more, but um, you know, I, I guess the fans kind of have to be going through it at this point, right. Kind of just waiting for that next peak. <laughs> yeah, we're um, there's a lot of talk about extending jazz now. Oh, I think you have uh, to, but on the chatter line anyway. So I'm for it. I projected him at the beginning of the season for a tier one, like a breakout player, someone who's going to be an all star every year. Yeah, well, he's certainly on his way. I know he took someone deep yesterday. Uh, the relief uh, pitcher for Philly uh, was a hundred and it was a point one off of what Degrom threw him. He's the only. MLB player this year to hit a home run off a hundred mile an hour plus pitch. It was uh, Alvarado left-handed yep. nasty stuff. And yeah, lefty I mean, on lefty attack. You know, if you got that type of bat speed that you can take guys who are hitting triple digits out um, and you're just a rookie. Oh my goodness. The ceiling is just uh, through the roof. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about Peyton Burdick and, and, and folks, I'm sorry if you guys aren't familiar with these names, uh, the Marlins, the Marlins system is extremely deep. Um, you know, if you hear someone you haven't heard of before, write them down, look them up. Cause uh, again, a lot of very interesting players bubbling through that system. But I wanted to hear about Peyton Burdick because I'm a fan. 
Oh, baby trout. I love him. He, uh, <laughs> he's one of my favorite players that the Marlins, uh, drafted. He was, uh, in the 2019 draft behind Blade, behind Misner. He was the third outfielder they selected. Um, he's been impressive every step of the way he came out hot in 2019 COVID zapped all of minor league baseball this year. And he's starting to heat up at the plate yesterday. Uh, he was four for five. I think it was with a home run and a couple doubles. So he's starting to pick it, pick it all back together, but he's a short stocky kind of just power hitter is what I think of. <laughs> is he like, uh, I guess in the Dan Ugla form where he can, you know, he's going to be average and power. Or is he kind of just focusing on, on, you know, making an impact with, uh, with impact. I think I think he'll I think he'll kind of like a Dan Ugla, but I think he's got a little better hit tool than Dan Ugla did. So oh, nice. Well, he had a couple of really nice years. I mean, before he fell off kind of fast, but he did, yeah. But uh, really, a very nice player for a few years. He was um, he was up there as one of the top contact guys in baseball. Very uh, very you know, it's so funny looking back on the Marlins because they had these very very just intricate teams where they made the most out of the opportunity they were given. And as Mets fans, I mean, we're very familiar with that process with, uh, you know, the Mets, you know, pretty much acted like the Marlins for the last decade or so. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just seeing them make do, um, at least again, from an outside perspective was always really cool to see, but boy, it looks like they're, uh, they're on their way up again. That's for sure. It's been a long time of coming, the new ownership and the Derek Jeter regime with the Trust the Process and Kim Ang coming in. Uh, they're really taking a hard look at it, and I think they're building it the right way, which is what you have to do. What's the fan sentiment with Jeter at the helm? Is is this, a, you know, is everybody kind of just riding that wave, and are, are they are they being patient? I guess that's that's my question. It feels like they're patient, but I think the patience is temporary because of the history with the Marlins always selling off their players. And I think once that first big extension, kind of like the Braves did with Acuna, Mm -hmm. you know, a big extension like that where they lock in a player for their – to be their franchise face, you know what I mean? Yeah. So once they do that, then I think it'll really take a lot of the tension off. I would hope so. I mean, at least it's a step forward in the right direction. Um, and they have, you know, <laughs> over the next few years, they're going to have multiple candidates to kind of fill that role. But I think I'm with you on the, um, on the, on the jazz, taking the jazz direction there. It seems like the way to go, uh, you know, just totally affable with the media. Um, and just, you know, this is the type of guy that, at least, again, outside perspective, that you'd like to build a team around. Oh, Absolutely. He's, he's teachable, which is big because Miguel Rojas has been, you know, giving him pointers and then he's taken what he's learned in um, the MLB. And when he did his rehab stint with the Jumbo Shrimp, he was talking to the other players and was like, you just have to have fun out there. And that's what it's about. And you could see the Jumbo Shrimp players loosening up and playing a little better too. So it's fun to see that he's, he's teachable and he absorbs the knowledge and he shares the knowledge and he's just a fun person. Now you're talking about Rojas, um, you know, I guess having that kind of veteran leadership around a, a very young team, a very young core uh, between him and, and, and Aguilar. Um, I guess moving forward, do you kind of feel like <clears throat> uh, trying to figure out how I wanted to word that and I kind of lost where I wanted to go with it? But, <laughs> you know, I, I guess the, the revolving door 
of, of having a veteran in place. Um, how important do you think that is for, for such a young team, a young so with so much turnover expected in the next few years to kind of have some stability there? I think it's, it's, it's crucial because um, they need to have somebody walk the walk and show them how to do it. And we have Marte. He, uh, I think yeah, he right. needs to be extended for another year. I, I forget about him sometimes because he hasn't played in so long. But yes, and, then, <laughs> and you have Andy over there, too, or Brian Anderson, well, and he's uh, not very hitting very well right now, but it's just a phase. He'll, he'll hit out of that and he'll end up right where it needs to be. So there's veteran leadership still on the team. It's just, they need to make sure they keep some of it going forward while not limiting the opportunities for the younger guys coming. Now, one of the guys who, who left Miami um, in the off season came to New York, Jonathan VR. Um, He kind of fit, I guess he fit that role in Miami. Well, again, this is, I don't, I don't have a very, uh, detailed knowledge uh, of the team at, you know, at that level. But, um, you know, what he's brought over to New York, especially in the wake of all the injuries. And uh, I'm not sure if you've caught wind of the bench mob, but, uh, you know, he, he is at the the front and center of the bench mob. He's been playing very well. He's taken on third base roles, which he, he hasn't played third base since 2016, oh, wow. I think. <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing fine. I think he's playing league average defense so far. Um, you know, do you think <laughs> – his presence was missed or could you see him? Was it evident that he could take on this role somewhere else and kind of be that clubhouse leader? Um, For Villar, I don't think it was really a fit in Miami. I think once he started slumping and it was a young team and at that time in 2019 with the whole COVID thing, uh, he needed a change of scenery. So they traded him to Toronto. Oh, right. He went to Toronto first. For uh, uh, Mr. Marlin's son, Griffin, Conine. That's right. Another another power outfield bat. He's probably got the most power in the out, uh, minor league system right now for the Marlins. So really, I know he, he had really really hot starts this season, but um, it's so funny. I guess you know for 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 years and years you saw like former players, kids getting drafted, and it was like almost like a a ceremonial thing. And now in the last <laughs> like decade or so, it's like oh wow, like yeah, you really got these <laughs> you know blue chip prospects that have had the opportunity to kind of develop from a very young age, and boy, they're getting up and they're just monsters. Even like the Bobby Witts of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's cool, but you know we you know Jeff Conine, you know all I could do is picture him in those teals, and my goodness, sharp <laughs> uniforms. Oh, I wish they'd bring him back full time. Man, I'm. I'm- I'm 37 years old. I, I remember the, the, you know, the inception of the Marlins and boy, that was, that was pretty cool, man. Charlie Huff throwing knuckleballs and shit. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. I still <laughs> have my original Bart Simpson binder with when the Rockies and the Marlins came into the league where I was putting all every card I ever got of them. I have so many just different random Marlins and Rockies cards in there with the little bottle caps that they came out with and those Marlin only cards and things like that. <laughs> I don't know. You have, again, you have to be of a, a certain age to maybe remember these, but um, you used to be able to get like uh, little plastic MLB helmets in the quarter machines at the supermarket. <laughs> and, you know, probably, you know, this is a few months before the MLB season started and you pull one out and it's an F with a fish on it. You're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, you know, you're reading the papers the next you know, a couple of weeks. It's like, Oh, they have a new team and this is them, I guess, you know, I'm like 10 years old at the time. So yeah. Oh, okay, awesome. cool. But yeah, you know, good times trying to, you know, and seeing that, seeing the franchise go from the very beginning to hitting that peak and then just the up and down, up and down. Um, you know, 
again, I, I'll come right back to it. As a Mets fan, we certainly feel for these Marlins fans, <laughs> just kind of waiting for uh, waiting for the good days. And, you know, as as a fan base who believes they're on the precipice of that, um, we're, we're hoping for you guys to get there sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's fun to watch when, when both teams are good, you know. It's, it's oh, a fun man. series to watch every time. Oh, yeah. Oh, some of those battles from, like, the mid-2000s. I know the last weekend of um, – Last weekend of 07 and 08, I believe, the Marlins played uh, played spoilers, and they did it very effectively. Uh, you know, just <laughs> interdivision stuff, always always good stuff. But, Stoffer, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. What do you guys got going on over at uh, Prospects 1500 and Fries on the uh, – excuse me, uh, Fish on the Farm? Well, for right now, I've, um, with 1500, we, I have an article coming out um, the next day or two. It's going through the editorial process. Um, Marlins with a hot start for each each different um, team that they have in the minor leagues. So the Jumbo Shrimp, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and Beloy Snappers, you know, the Jupiter Hammerheads. So that'll be coming out in the next day or two, depending on when it gets through. Excellent. Where could everybody find you on social media? I'm um, at it's uh, at Stouffer eighty one. I'm only doing the Twitter thing. Uh, I don't know what this Insta book is, so I'll have to figure <laughs> that out one day. Um, and one parting thought I'll leave you is: uh, if you're looking for a young under the radar type pitcher to add to your fantasy rosters, or you want to start watching some really amazing stuff, look up Yuri Perez. He's playing for Single A East, the Jupiter Hammerheads, and he's killing it this year. He's seventeen go, years old. You get a free tip from Stouffer. Free tip. All right, buddy. Hey, I can't again, can't thank you enough. Um, later in the summer when the Mets and Marlins light link back up, we'll have to uh, have you back on. Sounds perfect, man. Thanks. Have a great day. Same to you, brother. Take care. All right, guys. You heard uh, we recapped the week. We talked to Stouffer. We found out what's going on down in Miami and all over with those. The Jumbo Shrimp. I still love that name, man. The Jumbo Shrimp. We will be back on Monday, uh, hopefully recapping a very productive weekend for these Metropolitans. And, uh, yeah, you guys know where to find us, man. We're having some fun, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Well, we'll be here. I hope you're here. All right? Take care, guys. Peace. Peace.